In first century Jerusalem, you would see a group of disciples or students walking through the streets and among them leading the way their teacher, their rabbi. So valuable was the opportunity to follow the rabbi that you longed to be covered in the dust of his feet. Jesus of Nazareth was walking those ancient streets. Today, Jesus is still calling disciples. Come, follow me, that all who draw near may be covered in dust. your Bible, uh, Mark chapter 1. We're, we're embarking on a new journey today, and, and so the intro uh, is called uh, Covered in the Dust of Your Rabbi, and we're going to be looking at what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be formed into the image of Christ? And so uh, in Mark 1, what you have is this initial calling of some of the first disciples, and it says, um, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, being Jesus, saw Simon, now, Simon is not a common name that you know if, if you're familiar with the scriptures because later um, Jesus will change Simon's name to Peter, to Cephas. So Simon and Andrew, who is the brother of Simon, they were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on a little further... He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and followed him. Now, when you first come across a passage like this, it's just kind of, it's so interesting to me. Like, okay, why is Jesus calling these people? Right? Like, why these fishermen? Why these, you know, seemingly teenagers that are, that are with their fathers? And also, like, in a bigger way, like, why do they follow? Right? Like, why do they just immediately stop everything they're doing, get out of the boat, leave their dads, and go follow Jesus? Well, what we need to, is we need some historical background on what is a disciple. And so I, I just want to paint the picture for you as we're walking through this, this series and kind of embracing this uh, of what, what is a disciple in this day and age. So, so Jesus, he is, Jesus was Jewish. He was a Jewish rabbi, and the word rabbi simply means teacher, and he lived in an area, a region known as the Galilee. And for the Jewish people, they believed that God had spoken to Moses, and Moses took his words and wrote them in the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, and th this was called the Torah, and we translate it. We we actually kind of bad translation for the word Torah. We call it law. And uh, I, I even had one prof one professor who says when he goes through his New Testament and he's reading, and it says law, he crosses it out and he writes teaching, because it's a way it, we need to understand God's word, and we need to understand um, that this is this is the teachings of Moses. This is the teachings of God through Moses. Now, these were sacred texts for the Jewish people, so sacred that they built their entire lives around the Torah. 
They built their judicial system around the Torah. They even built their education system around the Torah. And, and everything was geared in that direction. And the Talmud, which is um, an extra biblical book, is a Jewish book that kind of explains some of their rules and laws. They put it like this about their education system. It said, under the age of six, we do not receive a child as a pupil. But from six upward, we accept him and we stuff him like with Torah, like an ox, right? This is, no, we stuff them. Like we want them to know Torah. And so this is the, their edu- education system. The first phase was a, a phase called Beit Sefer, which means house of the book. And this was ages six to 10, kind of like our elementary school system, right? And during Beit Sefer, they would memorize the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Memorize. If you have a Bible with you, feel free to flip through those first five books of the Bible. Like, you're like, I can't even get my kid to put his pants on not backwards, right? And you're like, they, their kids are memorizing Scripture. Now, why is this? Well, because they were an oral culture. They didn't have the printing press. The printing press wouldn't even be developed for 1,500 years, you know, after the time of Jesus, right? And so uh, everything, if you wanted to know the scriptures and you wanted to pass the scriptures around, each village, each synagogue would, would have some of these scrolls of, of these Old Testament, these Hebrew scripture books, but the way to, to know it was to actually memorize it. And so they would spend all this time memorizing. And Josephus, who is an, an ancient historian from around the time of Jesus, he says, above all else, we pride ourselves on the education of our children. Because they knew in a culture like this, that they understood that the words of Scripture, if they did not make it deep into the bones of the next generation, they were one generation from being extinct. And so they built everything around, we, we need these kids to understand and to know the scriptures. And people did. And so oftentimes when you read the gospels, you'll hear Jesus say something like, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Well, he, he's using these phrases because he lives in a culture where everybody had the scriptures memorized. And so he would, they didn't have um, chapters and they didn't have verses and they didn't have their own Bibles. They had a central scroll, but they had it memorized. And so he would reference these phrases and immediately they'd be like, oh, he's talking about Isaiah. He's talking about the, the prophet Malachi, or he's referring to the Exodus. They, they would just know it. It was in their bones. Now, so that, that was the first four, four or five years. Now, at this point, most of the kids would actually be done with school. Yay, right? You're 10 years old, you're done, you're out. And they would go home and they would just kind of learn, you know, a little bit about their family trade. They would learn from, girls would learn from their mothers about what it looks like to be a mom and a wife and to run, to run a house. And, and, and little boys would go and learn a little bit, you know, from their dads at this point as they kind of grew and mature. But if you were an exceptional student and you kind of really grasp the scripture, you show this intellectual prowess or, you know, this, this a, a wonderful ability to interpret and explain Torah, you would move on to the next phase, which was called Bet Talmud, which means house of learning. And this was ages 10 to 14. Now in Bet Talmud, what they would do is they would memorize the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, Third, the big, nearly two-thirds of your Bible, the biggest chunk from Genesis all the way to Malachi, they would, they would have it all 
memorized. And they wouldn't just memorize it. Then they would be able to discuss it and have questions. And, 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 and um, everything about the way they think and process was through, was through this um, process of Scripture. Okay? So at age 14, most all kids at this point, they would move on. And they would go and they would apprentice. Um, the, the, the little girls, uh, they were 13, they would get married. And the little boys would go apprentice under their fathers. And they would become whatever their father was. If their father was a blacksmith or a carpenter or a fisherman or a tax collector, they would apprentice under him. But if you were like this elite group and you had this incredible grasp, of the teachings of scripture, you would move on to Bet Midrash, which is the house of study. And rather than just being in the synagogue, what they would do is they would find a rabbi and they would follow a rabbi. Now, these rabbis are the most respected people in all of society. Why? Because their whole society is built around the teachings of scripture. And the rabbis are the ones who would help them interpret and understand. No, this is what it looks like. This is how you apply it. And that, that, that rabbi's interpretation and handling of scripture and life was called that rabbi's yoke. Come and take my yoke. I take my yoke upon you. This is the way I think. This is the way you process. And so these young 14-year-old boys, they, they longed to study to be a disciple of a rabbi. And so they would go up to them and they would say, you know, and uh, they would ask all these questions. And the rabbi would, 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 would respond and look at them and say, you know, um, uh, you know, ask them about, you know, how they interpret certain passages in Genesis. And what, what did this one, you know, prophet say and all these kind of things. And most of the kids, they're like, look, you're very smart. You're doing a good job. But, but go study from your father. Go, go, go learn. Go do what your father does. But the best of the best of the best if a rabbi looked at that kid and was like I, like, I think this kid could do what I do. I think, this, I think this kid can be like me. He would say this phrase. He would say, come, follow me. And then this young boy would drop everything. He would leave everything behind. It was a life-changing moment because there's somebody who's, who believes in you. There's somebody who believes that you can be a rabbi like him. And they would follow after. They would leave their synagogue and their village and their family. And they would dedicate their the rest of their life to following after the footsteps of this rabbi until they were mature enough and had a following of their own to be a rabbi themselves. And so there was this phrase that kind of got picked up and passed around because these rabbis would come into a village. Now, just imagine, you know, come into this dirt village and you'd see a rabbi and all these, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 disciples would follow that rabbi everywhere that he went. And so as this rabbi is walking and picking up the dust and the dirt of these, road, of these roads, these disciples are trying to follow him in every way. There, there's even writings about, there was rabbis that had injuries and so they would walk with a limp. Their disciples would follow them so closely after a few years, each disciple would kind of pick up this limp. And so there's this beautiful phrase that developed and it was just, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. As in, may you follow your rabbi so closely that the way they walk, you can see it all over you. The places they go, they say, would you be covered in dust of your rabbi? And, and I, I read this phrase and I think that's what I want of Jesus. 
I want to be somebody who just knows Jesus so well, that follows him so intimately that I am covered in his dust. The way he walks, the way he speaks, the peace that he brings into a room. Would we be people who are covered in the dust of our rabbi, Jesus? And so this call, the call to follow Jesus, it's a call to discipleship. So just imagine this context. So now we know the backstory. Now Jesus shows up. There's this 30-something-year-old new rabbi. And there's rumor going around because John the Baptist had his own disciples. And they looked to Jesus and they were like, we think you're the Messiah. We think we see the sign. So there's this rumor that this Yeshua, this Jesus of Nazareth, is actually the promised Messiah. And he's walking around and he starts calling people to follow him. John 1.16, again, passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, if they're fishermen, what does that mean? It means they're not following another rabbi. It means that they're, they didn't make the cut, right? At some point, somebody looked at them and it was like, you know what? You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You don't have the intellectual prowess. I don't think you can be like me. And so I need you to go home. And what does your father do? Oh, he's a fisherman. Guess what? You need to go apprentice under your father. And Jesus shows up. And what does he say to them? He says, come Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Mark 1.18 says this, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. And it feels strange when you first read it, right? Like, like why would they just drop everything? And, and if, you, if you're kind of like me, and maybe you grew up in church, and every Easter your parents would make you watch these cheesy, like, Jesus movies, right? And Jesus, in the, like, Jesus is so weird in those movies, right? He's always, like, they were low budget, so he's, like, in a bathrobe, right, you know? And he's got, like, a beauty pageant sash, and his hair is, like, blow-dried. He looks like a malnourished Fabio, right, you know, right? He's just, like, walking around, and he's, like, come follow me, you know? And they just, like, zombies, like, get out of the boat and, like, start following. You're, like, why? Like, that's weird, right? That doesn't make sense. But when you understand the context, you understand what's happening. You understand even why it says, for they were fishermen. When Jesus shows up, it makes perfect sense that they would drop everything. Because Jesus shows up, and what is he saying? He's saying, I think you can be like me. I think you can be one of, you can be one of my disciples. You can learn, you can take my yoke upon you and you can teach my way and we, and we can, like, it's this, it's this incredible phrase. And also, by the way, we read this and Jesus's first words here in Mark are, you know, you're fishermen, but I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? Like it's some kind of cheesy dad joke is like Jesus's first line. Like he's some kind of Jewish Aaron Lambert, you know, like, like, no, 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 like, no, you got to understand the context. It, it is not, this is a translation. The phrase Fishers of men is a Jewish idiom for a rabbi because that's what they do. They, no, they fish after people. And so Jesus shows up, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Hey, come follow me and, and you can join me on my mission. You can do what I do. And he says, Andrew, Simon, I know you've been rejected and ignored and told you don't have what it takes, but I'm calling you to follow me. And it says, verse 19, and going a little farther, 
He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. So who are they? They're fishermen as well. So they are rejected as well because they're apprenticing under their father. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Like, I always, like, used to read this and picture Zebedee, like, going home that day. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, honey, like, how was work? Oh, it was so good. Like, we got good fish. I lost the boys, but you know what? We had, like, we had a good catch. Like, no, is that what's, is that what's happening here? No, he's going home celebrating. He's like, he, he's like, sweetie, you won't believe what happened today. You know that Messiah that we've been hearing about? That rumor, that Rabbi Yeshua, he came to James and John, and he said he called them to be his disciples. He called them into apprenticeship under his ways. They would be, yes, they would be grieving the loss, but they would be celebrating that their boys are called into this. And then later, the next chapter, Mark 2, 13 says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Why is Levi, this son, sitting at the tax booth? Because he's apprenticing under his father. He's learning what it means to be a tax collector. And he says, follow me. And immediately, Levi, he rose and he followed him. Like, who is Jesus rounding up? Like, He's kind of calling the B team, am I right? Like, he's like, junior varsity, this is your moment, right? Like, come on, Blazers, we can make the playoffs. Or, you know, it's like this moment, right? Right? And like, this is, we have to understand, and these are not old men. These are teenage, like they're 14, 15, maybe 16 years old. Like, have you been around 16-year-old boys? Like, this is who Jesus is choosing to flip history upside down with? And the answer is yes. Like, why? Like, why would Jesus do this? Because the call to follow Jesus and become his disciples is for everyone. Doesn't matter your history, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter your personality, your skills, your failures, your ups and downs. Jesus wants to call you to follow him. And he wants you to be his disciple. He wants you to learn to walk like him, to be close to him, to be connected to him, and then to go do what he does by making disciples of others. See, Jesus, he's gathering this group of just absolute riffraff and rejects, and he's going to use them to flip the world upside down as we know it and absolutely change human history. Because Jesus, he didn't spend his time converting people to Christianity, but rather calling people to discipleship. When you read the New Testament, the the term Christian is used three times. Three times where the term disciple is used hundreds of times. And, and I think we need a shift in our way of thinking. Because when we take this badge of Christianity, we're just trying to identify with a group. But that's not what Jesus is calling you to do. He's calling you to be his disciple. And, and what he's saying is, you can be his disciple. Like, no matter who you are, no matter what you've gone through. And, and so as a church... Like, what we need is we need to enter into a season of intentional discipleship. And we're going to do it through what we call spiritual practices. We want to learn as a church, man, what does it look like to follow after Jesus and embrace his call? I want you to see this quote from Dallas Willard. It's so incredibly poignant. It says, the greatest issue facing the world today. Think about all the things that are happening. Poverty, 
infighting, disconnection. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will actually become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven into every corner of human existence. And so this is what we believe our call is as a church. We've been talking about this for months now. Look, we've seen a radical shift over the last year and a half, you know, really two years, Um, even within our church, right? Like we had this elaborate plan. We're going to, you know, buy this skating rink and renovate it. And then March 22nd, 2020 is going to be the great, amazing grand opening. Our plans are so wonderful. They're dialed in. And then the world shuts down for two weeks. <laughs> and about four or five months later, we looked around at it ourselves and we said, okay, cool. Like we're doing church online and people are watching. That's great. Are we actually making disciples? Are we actually seeing people come to Christ and see lives transformed? And there was no substantive way that we could answer yes. And so we had to make a shift. And for those of you guys who are here during that time, we, we, we did this thing called house churches. But they didn't meet in houses. They met here, but we just thought it was a creative name because <laughs> it was micro churches. And so we had 14 churches that met throughout the day. We immediately went from like, hey, we're this young church plant and we're growing. We're going to plant ourselves permanently to like, hmm, we're a digital media company, right? And Nolan and I are like downloading Adobe and like learning how to edit videos. It's terrible. <laughs> are you standing in front of a camera like a prisoner of war? Just like, you know, like putting out, you know, signals like help, help me. Like, you know, right? <laughs> but nobody's watching, so it doesn't matter, you know? And then we start these house churches. And here's what's crazy. People start coming. People start gathering together because they're longing for it. Even in the midst of a pandemic, people are gathering in all different ways. And then we start to group these house churches together for larger gatherings. And people keep coming. And people keep coming. And people keep coming. And, and we, we're, we're having these encounters with people who are like, I've, I grew up in church, but I haven't been back since. Or I was wounded deeply. Or I've never been a part of a church. Or, or I miss my church and we haven't been gathering for months or years now. And we have this influx, and we find ourselves asking the question, okay, now what do we do, right? Like, what do we do? You know what we do? We become intentional disciples of Jesus. We, we learn to follow his ways. And so the way we do that is through, through the spiritual practices that Jesus taught us. Let me just give you a sample of a few of these. First, scripture. And, and scripture is not like, hey, you need to read your Bible so you don't feel guilty. It's the practice of knowing Jesus intimately and personally through hearing his voice in the ancient scriptures. Like, like Jesus has revealed himself to you. And so this is not about, um, you know, guilting you into reading your Bible. This is about how do we empower and equip you to understand context and know commentary and be able to ask questions as you read your Bibles, that you would know Jesus. Rest in margin. Man, we are a hurried world, are we not? You know, you know how Jesus spent his time? Jesus walked slowly, and he had time for people. His disciples were like, hey, we're going here. 
He's like, cool, have fun. I'm going to sit by this well because I have an encounter with somebody that matters. He had margin in his life. He often would get away for silence and solitude and prayer, that we would be a people of prayer practicing the presence of God. Not, we're not like rubbing a lamp you know, when we pray. You know what I'm saying? Like we're not trying to, you know, there's not a genie in heaven that we're trying to actually ask the right things of. I, I read this thing this, this last week about Mother Teresa. Somebody asked her, just this incredible woman of God, and I go, like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you pray? What do you say? What do you ask God for with just all the things in front of you when you pray? And she's like, oh, like, sweetie, I don't, I don't talk. I just listen. And he's like, oh, that's amazing. What does God say to you? She's like, oh, he doesn't talk either. He just listens. And if you don't get that, you don't get God's presence. And I was like, I don't get God's presence. Like, what does that mean? You know, like, but to, we want to learn what it means to be close have relationship. We're going to look at things like wholeness and healing. Like how do the wounds and, and damage of our past that we just push to the side, past trauma, past painful experiences, like how do we actually deal with those in a way that brings about wholeness and healing that for us as people of Jesus so that when we can walk around, we don't say, no, our life is perfect. Nothing's ever happened to us. But no, there's something about the way we walk that brings his presence. Would we be people who are fully present? In a world that is distracted, we show up to a restaurant and people are having family dinner, all staring at their screens, that we would learn what it means to be present with Jesus, but present with our friends, present with our family, present with those around us, what, how community shapes, how the people around us as we spend time helps shape us. Now, look, again, this is just, this is six of the 12 to 14 or so that we're going to go through, Right? We're going to talk about things like fasting and generosity and silence. But here's what, here's what I want you to hear. What I want for you, whether you are brand new to Christianity or you've been following him for decades, whether you're like exploring Jesus for the first time or you're a leader in this church, I want you to be empowered and equipped to have your personal relationship with Jesus. That, that you would be able to say like, I know him and he knows me. And, and, and I can walk slowly and I can have rhythm and pace for my life because it, it, here's what I want you to see, that the call of Jesus into discipleship, first and foremost, it's a call to be with Jesus, that, that you would spend time with him, right? He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Like, do we live in a weary, a tired, and an overwhelmed, burdened world right now? You better believe we do. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my, what's the word there? Yoke. What is a yoke? It's the teachings of a rabbi. Take my, it's this example of, of an oxen carries this yoke, but, but it's, a weight, it's a weight of how we live the way of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What is that? It's a call to discipleship. For I am gentle and humble of heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, this is the first and foremost call to discipleship, is a call to experience the power of being in the presence of Jesus, enjoying his love and his grace. It's not about knowing something or doing something or being something. It's relationship. Even for me this last week, right? I, like, I need, just to be clear, like, I need this. This is not like, hey, guys, I got this dialed, all right? So, like, come and I'll vomit my spirituality all over you. Like, no, like we all, like as a church, like this is what we need. And I need this in my life on Tuesday. I just had this heavy day. 
just these things. And so really late at night, my wife was going to bed, and I just thought, I was like, hey, I think I'm going to go for a run. And so I go for this run, and I live by this hill, and I'm running up this hill, and I, I go up to, to this butte that just overlooks the city. And I'm just feeling overwhelmed. And, and I don't know, even know what to do with it. And so as I'm kind of walking around, I'm just praying, Lord, help me strategize through this. Help me think about what's next. Help me figure out how to, you know, where do we go from here, blah, 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 right? And I just felt the Holy Spirit saying like, hey, why don't you just sit down? And so I did. I found this little rock ledge and I just sat down on it. And I just felt the Spirit again say, why don't you tell me what is heavy on your heart? Not so we can fix it together or strategize or plan, but why don't you tell me so you realize how much I care about the things of your heart? And I just needed to just sit and just, uh, just be with Jesus in that moment. Like, like he, to remember that he cares about not, not just the things that we do, but he cares about the things that are heavy on our heart and our mind. This is, this is the kind of people that we need to be. This is what Jesus called his disciples to. They were literally invited to eat and to walk, and to rest, and to just be with Jesus. And so as we go through these spiritual practices, and we think about things like silence and solitude, do we want to be, do we want to do that because Jesus did it? Absolutely, we want to be like him, but also so we can just quiet the noise and be present with our Savior. Man, we need that. We long, we're thirsty for that. Do, do we want to learn to pray so we can learn how to pray for the right things? Like, I think prayer really matters, but also so we would learn to just commune with our Father, that, that he cares about the things on our hearts? Do we want to teach you to read the Bible so you have knowledge and information of the scriptures? Like, yeah, like that's actually a really good thing to be biblically literate. But primarily, it's so that you would know Jesus. You would, he says, my sheep know my voice. Man, would we be a people who know his voice and know that he's near to us? Secondly, the call to discipleship is a call to be like Jesus. So we're going to be with Jesus, but also as we spend time with him, we're going to be more shaped more and more into his image. Peter and John, two of his disciples. Later on, they would go to write epistles, and this is what they both write. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should what? Follow in his steps. That you should be covered in his dust. That you would be so close to Jesus that you actually look like him and you walk like him. And John writes, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. It's a call to actually be shaped in the way that we live. Spiritual formation is about us looking more and more like Christ as we spend time with him. He says, come and follow me and I will make you. He's going to transform us. The, the kind of word we often use for this is sanctification, but I want you to think whole life transformation. Man, if we, as we spend time with Christ through prayer and the scriptures and some of these spiritual disciplines and relational practices, man, would we be people who actually look more and more like him? Would we rest and have margin in our life, not running around with just chaotic schedules because we want to walk slowly like Christ? Would we learn to be fully present people not distracted by our phones and all the things happening around our life because we want to be fully present in the way that Jesus was present with people and the way that he walked with people. Would we be deeply generous people because Jesus gave all he had for our sake? And lastly, the third thing it means, what it means to be a disciple, it means to do what Jesus did. 
that we would join him on his mission, that we would be bringers of the kingdom, that we would be peacemakers and city shapers, that, that Jesus coming up to us, like we would be like, yeah, like we're the B team, right? But we're the B team that's following him. And it's not because of anything incredible about who we are. It's about the incredible power of who Jesus is. That's how he's going to use us. When they're observing the growth of the church in Acts, there's this verse I just love. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Why did they realize they were unschooled, ordinary men? Because they're goofballs. Like, you, seriously, you read the Bible, you're like, these... These dudes were idiots. I'm sorry. Like, they just were. Like, you know, we looked at, we looked at the Easter story last week, John, John's take, and he's like, hey, don't forget, like, I smoked you, Peter. Like, I was the first. I outran you, right? Peter is constantly putting his foot in his mouth. There's this moment where he sees Jesus transfigured. Like, Jesus is revealing his glory, right, to Peter, James, and John. And, and he's there, and he's with, it's Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And it says in the scripture, John's writing this down, Peter goes, Jesus, it's, it's good that we're here, right? And then John goes in parentheses. Anytime there's parentheses in the Bible, you know it's good. He's like, Peter said this because he didn't know what to say because he was so scared, right? <laughs> like these are the people that Jesus used to flip the world upside down. And so why not us? Why, why, why not us to see this city transformed if we would be people radically committed? And I just, I just need you to hear this. Jesus is calling you. Not, not because you're good enough. Not because you're smart enough. Not because you're qualified. Because you're chosen. He wants to use you. And stop using the excuses, oh, that's just for somebody who has super spirituality. That's just for somebody who has a different past than me. That's just for somebody who has a different level of gifts. Now, would we be a people who follow in the footsteps of Jesus and are close to him, that, that are shaped more and more into his image. And because of that, we can join him on his mission of flipping this world upside down.